And welcome into the first ever edition of Mixed Martial Arts and Crafts. I'm your host, Eric Hanneman. It's a pleasure to finally start this podcast. Quick description of myself if you're new to me. My name is Eric Hanneman, and I used to be on the radio on 104.5 The Team in Albany, New York. Had a show on that station on Sunday mornings where there was a little segment called Mixed Martial Arts and Crafts dedicated to the combat sports world, and that's where I intend to continue to go here on this podcast. Uh, of course, I do like other sports as well, which maybe stay tuned. There will be other podcasts to come, but this is Mixed Martial Arts and Crafts. This is where you come to get combat sports opinions. So let's dive right into it. I got a few things to get off my chest here on the first show. One that I would like to think is evergreen, but also a couple of predictions where we go with some popular fighters, including Hamzat Shumayev and Charles Oliveira, as well as a take on why I think a fight that was announced recently needs to become the new standard. But where I want to start is going back to the last pay-per-view where Israel Adesanya was stopped in the fifth round by Alex Pereira. All right, can we at least agree on something here in terms of the stoppage in Israel Adesanya's last title fight where he lost to uh, excuse me Alex Pereira? Look, there's a middle ground here, and I get Twitter and it, it's not going to die, folks. It, it's going to be here. We're going to continue to be on Twitter. We're going to continue to have debates on Twitter and have uh, scorecards on Twitter where they pop up on the side of the screen and someone's telling you whether you, who you think is winning is right or not. Um, I digress there. But there is definitely a lot of discourse on there in the MMA world. And I'd I, I like to see the diverse opinions on there. And, of course, you can tweet at me um, if you want to ask any questions or have a, a good debate about any of these topics as well. I am on Twitter at the Eric Hanneman, and Hanneman is spelled H-A-N-N-M-A-N-N. But I would say overwhelmingly, the discourse I saw about the Izzy stoppage was it was a good stoppage by Mark Goddard. And while I believe that is true, that you can say that it was a good stoppage, I also believe it was not a good stoppage. And I think that there is a middle ground that we can all agree on and not necessarily have this back and forth, well, this was a good stoppage or a bad stoppage or, or whatnot. And I think the purposes of stoppages is exactly what Mark Goddard did. Seeing a fighter in trouble, seeing a guy not react and not throw back any strikes after about 10 to 12 unanswered, I think he did a textbook what he is taught to do. And I know a lot of people are going to say that th- that is not the job of the referee to take in context a title fight or who might be ahead on the scorecards or anything like that but let's throw that all out the window Uh, we saw recently in a fight where chase sherman was undoubtedly down in the scorecards against waldo cortez acosta like well down on the scorecard you could easily have called that fight but he got a little bit of a leeway and he was able to survive the second round and went in the third round and he still lost the fight um, there was another one that I thought uh, Kennedy and Joko uh, beating uh, Ion Kutilaba. I thought Kutilaba got the benefit of the doubt longer than he necessarily should have in that fight, but he was given it and something that I wished Izzy had in that fifth round. And, and to go even farther with this, what I mean by the benefit of the doubt, it's just the fact that Israel Adesanya would have liked to go out like Kamaru Usman. 
that's what I think. And I think every fighter kind of wants to be actually put down at least. I'm not saying they all want to go out. That's why they tap on the submission attempts. But I think most of them would tell you, let me go down. Let me actually be dropped. And in that scenario, uh, specifically, you could see Adesanya. This wasn't Sean Strickland, you know, after getting knocked out by Alex Pereira. Clearly not in a good headspace. Clearly knocked out. And say, no, I'm fine. This is Israel Asana looking like he was uh, not fine per se, but that he could have taken a few more licks and maybe one of them would have Kamaru Usman him. But I would like to see him get to the end of uh, of that round. Uh, another example quickly, Renato Moncano. I mean, that fight had no business even still going on in the fifth round back against RDA. I'm talking about the fight he had on short notice against RDA, not his most recent victory over Brad Riddell. So that Moicano fight, we loved Moicano for staying in that fight. Short notice. Got his ass absolutely whooped by RDA and that fight. And at one point could have been stopped. But it was, I forgot the ref at the time. It might even have been Mark Goddard. I, I doubt it. But it could have been. Actually, I, I want to say my memory is that it was Mark Goddard. But they get let Moicano keep going. Not only that, I believe it was Mar, Mar, Mark Goddard who went to Moicano before the start of that fifth round and said, hey, if this gets out of hand early, I'm going to stop the fight, if my memory serves me correctly as well. I think it was Goddard for sure. And Moicano never, you know, he had his moments in the fifth round from what I remember. RDA kind of took his foot off the gas pedal. But there was no reason for that fight to keep going in that fifth round. And it had it gotten a little bit more out of control, Goddard would have stopped it. He kind of made that clear. So there's, there's some consistency there. So let me wrap up the point by putting a bow on it, saying, I believe Mark Goddard did his job, did his job well. But I also think that it was an early stoppage for what we were looking at and for what most fighters' mentality is in a fight like that. That's just my two cents. Yes, we need to save the athlete from themselves of some time. But Kamaru Usman was knocked out cold. That's a different aesthetic than what we saw. And that's why there should be a re- immediate rematch. And I also think it's a much need for an immediate rematch. People are saying, oh, we don't need to see him beat him in a combat sport for a fourth time. Here's why I disagree. This guy is clearly, I'm talking about Alex Pereira now, he's clearly got something going for him in the UFC. But the only thing to possibly double, maybe even triple his popularity before he could possibly go on a title run and we get the answers about how he would face a Derek Brunson or someone like that, is if he gets more people to buy in. Build up this easy rematch like you've never built up a fight before. He's 0-3. Twice he was knocked out after being up in the scorecards. And Alex Pereira just wants to officially take it all. Take his title totally away. That He has no chance to earn it again because I've already beat you twice in the UFC and four times in combat sports. Izzy will never like, build it up that way. Izzy will never have a chance for a middleweight title again as long as Alex Pereira is the champion. He must win this fight. Like there's such a way to build this up, and it's a smart thing to do for Alex Pereira's camp and for the UFC to do to make sure that they have another person that people are going to want to watch, no doubt, no matter who he's fighting on a pay-per-view in Alex Pereira. That's a chance to build it up by making Izzy the next guy to face the champ. Let's move forward now to the title fight between Josh Emmett. Inter title fight between Josh Emmett 
and Yair Rodriguez. Now, personally, I would have liked to see Arnold Allen get that opportunity against Josh Emmett. I think that the reason why I feel that way is because there's more of a winning streak. Right, we, we there's more of a winning streak attached to both of those guys. I know Calvin the win over Calvin Cater by Allen recently wasn't, you know, this great victory. But neither was Yair Rodriguez's victory over Brian Ortega. Right, both wins were taken out of the sails because of injuries in their respective fights. And now Yair Yair's been around. Um, he's more than earned this throughout his career. But because of that one loss he has against Max Holloway, a guy who was dominated by Alexander Vol- Volkanovski most recently. Because of that one loss to Max, for two reasons, right? We just saw Max lose for a third time, and in the most in the most dominant faction against Volk, we saw that guy, that version of Max, destroy Yair Rodriguez. So even if Yair wins, we don't necessarily think that he could put together that great of a chance against Alexander Volkanovski. That's one reason. The other reason is because he does have a loss. In our, in our recent memories. Josh Emmett doesn't have a loss in recent memory for us. Arnold Allen, if my memory serves me correctly as well, we've never seen lose as a professional fighter. And so, granted, how do we feel if Josh Emmett facing off against Alexander Volkanovsky? Just as poorly as we probably would have for Yair Rodriguez's chances on the pound-for-pound greatest fighter in the world or right now in Alexander the Great. Now, that was a digression. I digressed there a little bit, and you should get used to that on a few of these podcasts if you choose to continue to listen. Now, the overall point I want to make is because because that fight was made, I think it sets a new precedent, something that we have to put on the table here in terms of interim fights. This fight was announced the same night we officially got confirmation that Alexander Volkanovsky will try to become champ champ when he, fa- uh, when he faces Islam Mahashev in Perth in February then the featherweight interim title also on that card between Emmett and Rodriguez. So clearly, they put these two things together. It was a brainstorm, and I think this is something that needs to continue. If you have a champ challenging for another belt, has another fight scheduled, it should be an automatic interim title fight on that same card And if the number one contender, like let's say that Max Holloway was going to get that opportunity, right? They didn't give Max the opportunity. Max deserves the interim title shot, does he not? But he didn't get it because he has lost to Volkanovski. They don't want to set up that fight because they intend the winner of this fight to fight Volkanovski. Otherwise, Max Holloway would be in this title fight, right? No no doubt about it. So this is still matchmaking based on who they want to fight Alexander Volkanovski. It's a number one contender's bout. Just put on the line an interim title. And it makes all the sense in the world. If a guy who is holding up the division, that's when you give an interim title, right? And Ganu was holding up the division in the UFC's eyes, so they gave the interim title fight to Cyril Gan and Derek Lewis. Um, you know, th- those are the reasons why you get interim title fights. Uh, it happened a couple times with Habib, right? He couldn't fight because of Ramadan or whatever, and they decided to have an interim title, and then the winner would get Habib. Those things happen, right? The minute the belt is held up, that officially, and the UFC sees it, they should give, that's all semantics. That's all just like out there in the ether, right? We don't know why something's being held up. But when a fight is announced for a fighter who's a champion at a specific weight class, at a different weight class, 
regardless if it's for a belt or not. Obviously, in this case, it is for a belt, and I'm assuming in all other circumstances, that's going to be the case. That it, I don't believe that was the case, right, for Connor, and they did that to Connor, right? Then they strip his 145 immediately when he went up to 170 because his intention was to go to 155. That is actually not correct. He became a champ, champ that year. So I'm poking holes in my own story here, but I'm actually not. I'm not. I'm not actually because I'm not advocating for them to pull the title. I'm just saying immediately there deserves to be an interim title shot. That's exactly what needs to happen. There immediately should be an interim title shot if the belt is officially being held up because said fighter has shown he can fight. He's just not going to do it at that weight class. So that's all convoluted way for me to say this Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett, 145 pound interim title fight should be the new standard because it was made specifically because the champion of the division had a fight announced at a different weight class. The next time that happens, no matter what the weight class is, Amanda Nunes takes a title at 145, then 135, a title shot at 145, then 135 should have an interim title. I think that that 100% belongs in the ether because Amanda Nunes went almost two years. Was it two years? It was a long time before she finally got back in there and faced Juliana Pena. Why should Amanda Nunes just be able to go back and forth? And the 135 strap just be left there. So there's obviously some thinking through it. Now I'm thinking through it. I'm like, okay, I get it. If you're trying to defend both. Like let's say Volkanovski beats Islam and he wants to, de- to defend both. Every single time he goes to defend one, there should be an interim title. I guess I'm not saying that. But at least for the first one, when someone gives that shot, when Israel Adesanya decided to take on Jan Blahovich, I do believe there should have been a 185 interim title belt. I think I'll have to agree with my fellow, now my fellow podcast MMA. He might have a little more followers than me. But Chael Sonnen, I have to agree with him. That the more belts that are being on the line, the better. And there's something on the line. There's there's an extra oomph in the fighter if there's a belt on the line. And I do believe that if there had been a belt on the line for, say, Robert Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori for a chance to fight Izzy again, that would have been interesting. That's all I'm saying. That, there, that no matter what, if someone goes up to challenge, there should be an immediate interim on that same card that that fighter is fighting on. And it doesn't matter who the two fighters are, as long as there's a couple people that are ranked in the top five. Let me know what you think, though, at the Eric Hanneman on Twitter. Uh, because I, I, I thought through here, and I'm like, you know what? There could be some asterisks. There could be some, well, in this scenario, not. But I do like... The idea that more times than not, an interim title bout should be scheduled the same night that the champion of that division decides to fight at a different weight class. What is the UFC doing with Hamzat Shimaya? That That's an interesting question right now. And I'm going to say something. Possibly, if this ever grows itself, could hinder me. In terms of a relationship with the promotion. But to me there seems to be a little bit of kneeling by the UFC to Hamzat Shumayev. And what I mean by that is they know they have a big star. Not only an American, uh, from an American lens, the, a boogeyman that, that's fun to fight. right? That just goes in there and just smashes and, and, and everything that he promises. He delivers. 
he's popular in America. But then you have the Dagestani background, right? You know, uh, trains in England, but you know he's from Sweden or uh, whatever. Uh, whatever his background is, he comes from Russia though. Abu Dhabi fight car, people would come out to watch him. He's obviously a big draw around the entire globe, not just a specific area. And it went to quick. It went very quickly. He's just a huge draw. No one, no one ever saw what he did in those three fights in short time period in 2020. And anyway, so that we knew a star was born. But why am I saying that the UFC, that Hamza Shemaev has the UFC basically by the balls? Is basically what I'm saying. I guess I'll, I'll have the the chutzpah, I'll have the stones to say it. It it just seems that way to me because. There's too much rigmarole going around with Hamza Chimaev right now. Is he 170? Is he 185? And I do think that the two are working closely together. Now, granted, what I'm about to say about the Nate Diaz card, there's 100% truth that they wanted Nate Diaz on that card. No doubt about that. But make no bones about it. That was all about putting Hamzat Chimaev on the highest stage in front of the most amount of eyeballs that they could, guaranteeing a victory. Okay? Guaranteeing a victory. And I have some proof. Not proof that's going to hold up in court. But I do have some uh, proof that there were some deal makings going on in favor of just having Hamzat Chimaev on the card. So here's what I'll say. The UFC, I think, wanted to have Hamza and Shemayev on that card more than they wanted to have Nate Diaz on that card. And it was shown in all the rigmarole that went on, and I'll use that word again, uh, during that, that day, the, the day, the day before the fight, because everything had to be moved around because Shemayev missed weight. And instead of saying, you know what, this guy does not deserve his money, right, that he's going to fight Diaz anyway, which the Diaz camp didn't want, they are probably okay with that. I'm talking about the UFC now because, you know, <laughs> Diaz couldn't, you know, Diaz, the Diaz camp wanted this now, so they're like, cool, that's fine. But we can move this around and this around and this around. And the guy that saves that fight card, yes, it's Yi Jian Le, Yi Jian, the leech. Let's call him the leech. That's why people call him the leech because then they get on a podcast here and they can't pronounce his name. But, Yes, they wanted the leech to fight. That's cool. Um, he he fought Daniel Rodriguez, and uh, it was at a catch weight, right, against um, Kevin Holland. So he's the one that weighed in for Rodriguez at one seventy, and um, catch weight was at I want to say one seventy five. Maybe it was one eighty actually for Rodriguez. It might have been that much. Rodriguez and uh, Holland. So Holland goes on to face Hamza Chimaev. You might say to yourself, "That's a better fight for Kevin Holland, right?" Like he's he's in terms of eyeballs. Like, do people want to see him fight Daniel Rodriguez, or they want to see Kevin Holland get in there with Hamza Chimaev? But in the grand scheme of things, for Hamza Chimaev, or excuse me, for Kevin Holland's quest for a one seventy, right? He had moved up. He hadn't lost that one seventy yet. That wasn't the best fight for him. Fighting Hamza Chimaev, a guy that he knew was going to be able to dominate him on the ground, 
like we had seen Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori to do it to him before and, and others, right? There had to be some kind of deal-making to make sure that Hamza Chamayo was still on that card because guess what could have happened, right? That fight stays the same. And we see Tony face Nate Diaz and we see the leech or excuse me, we, we see Kevin Holland face Daniel Rodriguez, and the Leech just doesn't have a fight. Like, that could have been, oh, shoot, they wanted to get Leech a fight, but guess what? We, we could have just left it the way it was, because if Kevin Holland says, no, I want to fight Daniel Rodriguez, then what do you do? Then what do you do? So all of that just to prove that I think that they just, that Hamza Chimaev is their toy, but he's the one that's dictating things. He's misbehaving, right? He's at 178 on weigh-in day. He's going out there and saying, I want to fight at 185. When clearly, isn't he still in 170? Like, what, isn't he still in the 170 weight class? So, yeah, it's not foolproof. But, you know, the the bombshell thing that I want to throw out there is Kevin Holland said he was going to retire. That was clearly a ploy. A ploy for what? Oh, how about a main event? Tied to Ivasa is facing... Sergey Pavlovich on that same fight card. There's a couple other good fights on there that I can't remember off the top of my head, which isn't a great sign. But that easily could have been made events. Steven Thompson versus Kevin Holland? Yeah, I'm excited to watch that. But I could—I already named one fight on that fight card itself that could have been a better made event. And we know how heavyweights draw on made events. So all I'm saying is that they might have given Kevin Holland a made event for taking that fight against Hamza Chimaev. What's my overall arching point on that? I'm not sure. But what is the UFC doing with him? Is he fighting Kobe Covington at 170? Okay, maybe Kobe's not answering them, so they don't know what they're going to do with that 170. Why is he asking to fight at 185? Specifically, why is he asking at 185 when the champion just lost? Well, maybe because the UFC said, we want you to fight at 170, but Hamza Chimaev wants to fight at 185. But the UFC wants him to go at 170. Why do they want him to go at 170? Well, they didn't want him to beat... Israel Adesanya, because they know Adesanya's ground game isn't great. They know Hamza Chimaev probably would go in there and beat Israel Adesanya, but they didn't want Adesanya to lose. They had a lot more fights to get with Adesanya as the 185 champ. And eventually, when that fight is ready to happen for the super fight, and possibly the double champ after Hamza Chimaev takes out Kamaru Usman at 170, that would be the perfect time for him to move up to 185 and fight Israel Adesanya. Maybe they weren't going to allow him to fight Izzy. Maybe that's why he was at 170, but he really wants to be at 185. And when the 185-pound champ that they told him he couldn't fight loses, well, then I'll immediately call out Alex Pereira. That is what happened. Why wasn't he calling out Israel Adesanya? He has no problem calling out Kobe Covington. I can't remember off the top of my head a moment that he's called out Kamaru Usman, but he's had to call out the champ because he wants to be the champ at 170. Why has he never called out Izzy at 185? And why did he immediately call out Alex Pereira other than the fact that the guy clearly doesn't have a great ground game and Shemaev does and we know he's fought at 185 before but isn't that the same case with Israel Adesanya and we never saw him call him out when he was the champion just food for thought so what's the UFC doing with with, uh, Hamza Shemaev does it just matter if Colby Covington answers the phone or is no matter what his next fight for a championship and could that championship be at 185 all I'm saying is we still need a main event in Brazil in January 
All right, speaking of that main event in January that they're looking for, I, I've heard or maybe seen that they're fine with having Moreno versus Davis and Figueredo for as the main event. Like They're fine with that being the five-round main event in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, uh, in January. Like, Cool. But everybody knows that was a backup plan. They're trying to make something happen. So what I the fight that I think that they were trying to make happen for that fight card was Charles Oliveira versus Conor McGregor. Look, we all know that Conor McGregor, excuse me, that Charles Oliveira wanted to face Conor McGregor. If it was up to Charles Oliveira, and honestly, who knows if how things change if Oliveira makes weight in Phoenix, right? We don't have to litigate that whole situation. And I'm not going to go into another conspiracy theory on this podcast. It's still my first one. Uh, but Charles Oliveira, missing weight, changed everything drastically. You lose all leverage of possibly being able to choose your next fight. Not saying that he was going to be able to wait for when Conor McGregor wanted to return, which wasn't anytime soon because we know how bulked up that he's been probably because of the Roadhouse movie that he filmed that just ended recently filming. But if he had his choice, I think Charles Oliveira would have fought Conor McGregor. He wanted a money fight. It was clear that he wanted a money fight. And something happened recently on social media about a week or so ago, and we've mentioned the possible downfall of Twitter, and we know that one of the things that's changed on Twitter is that you can buy the different verified check marks for $8 a month. And there was somebody who did that and had a fake tweet out there from Ariel Hawani that said that they have announced that Conor McGregor and Charles Oliveira are going to fight. Don't remember specifically if it was on that Drew De Janeiro card, but it was that they agreed to fight on a five-round main event. And Charles Oliveira joked around. It was clearly a joke. We, we all saw the joke. Some people thought maybe that he was gotten by the account. No, it was clearly a joke. Tweeted out something to the effect of, okay, I'm fine with that. Let's do it. Look, it's only $8 to pay for an account. I'm just going to throw that out there. This guy is clearly... Made enough money as a main event fighter as a champion in the lightweight division. It's only eight bucks. Don't know how, how much that is in his natural current, his native currency, but in, in Brazil, I'm not an expert about that. But overall, my point is, and I'll just say it one more time, just in case you're not sinking it in, it's only eight bucks to do that. Another conspiracy. But I'm not saying it was him or his camp. Oh, oh, I might have just alluded to it. Regardless, he responded to that. Which is big for me. That's the fight he's looking for. He's looking for a fight against Conor McGregor. Or at least a money fight right now. He's not really... Look, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushed to get back in there with Islam after Islam possibly beats Volkanovski or pushes to face Volkanovski if Volkanovski beats Islam. There's a chance maybe he fights Benil. Maybe he fights somebody else um, at 155. I mean, Benil's the only fight that makes sense that he hasn't already beaten, right? Because you can't you can go away, beat Chandler and Gaethje and Poirier again for a chance to face Islam. No, I think if you beat Darius, one that you haven't faced, and then you get another chance at the championship. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but there's money fights out there. He could go up to 170. He's had a hard time making weight at 155. Could he go up to 170 and face Jorge Masvidal or something to that effect or somebody else up there? Maybe Gilbert Burns versus Charles Oliveira in Brazil. Could we see like, – come on. That would, that would be a ridiculous fight. Um, but look, what I see right now in Charles Oliveira is a guy who's looking to capitalize on his popularity. 
We've seen what learning English and having English has done to a guy like Ronaldo Moicano. That would ser- tremendously help Charles Oliveira if that was something that he was able to do. And I'm not saying him not doing it, it makes him any less likable. He's one of my favorite fighters right now. And I enjoy everything that he says that I get through translations. But we, we saw that with Moicano, how important that was and how transcendent it could be. It would be so transcendent if Connor if he if he wants that Connor McGregor fight, if he could possibly do something similar to what Moicano did in his last chance or his last fight and his chance at the post fight interview. So Charles Oliveira versus Conor McGregor, that's something that's going to happen, I think soon. That's my prediction. I think it's I think it's a perfect fight for Conor. Right, you're not going to fight for the 155 pound belt. Not going to fight for the 170-pound belt on your first fight back. I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think the UFC wants that to happen. I could be wrong. So what does that mean? That means that he needs to fight somebody that could get them there, in there quickly. Oliveira wants it. He clearly does. It just makes too much sense for both of them to make that their, both of their next fights based on what they've shown and what their desire to be. For Conor, it makes a lot of sense because it, it puts you right on the cusp of fighting for the title if you win. Like, there'd be no doubt, okay, you just beat the guy who just was champion for a long time, um, who has beaten Poirier, who's beaten Gaethje, who's beaten Chandler. Okay, give him the shot, right? Like, it would just make sense for Conor McGregor. For Charles Oliveira, if you're not going to get back in there right away, might as well make some money because taking Benil Dariush isn't going to be no slouch either. That's going to be a guy who's going to give you a tough 15 minutes or 25. If we got that on a fight night, that would be absolutely insane. With that being said, um, maybe at the end of each podcast, I'll give a, a fight that I want to see. The one that's come to my mind recently, and I just talked about him, Renato Moicano. I'd like to see Moicano's next fight be against Patty the Batty. Patty Pimblett. Moicano versus Patty the Batty. I want it to be a five-round main event, not pay-per-view. I think it would be amazing. Uh, maybe that could be in England. I don't know, but I think it'd be an amazing. Now that Moicano is just what he is on social media, it's fantastic. I think that that would add so much, and, and I think that skill level. If Patty the Batty gets past Jared Gordon's skill level, it makes a lot of sense as well. Though this has been Mixed Martial Arts and Crafts. I'm Eric Cannon. Make sure to follow me at the Eric Cannon and subscribe here uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I believe this is on Apple Podcasts, most likely the most. So um, Apple Podcasts it be <laughs> but uh make sure you hit subscribe and keep listening and tweet me any questions that you do have this is mixed martial arts and crafts i appreciate you listening till next time i'm eric Hanneman here on mixed martial arts and crafts